and welcome to Fidelity Connect, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast connecting you to the world of investments and helping you stay ahead. Inflation is rising and so is consumer spending. The latest CPI, PPI and retail data out of the US all rose largely from a big jump in energy prices. The recent figures indicate that consumers will continue to hold up well despite rising prices and increasing levels of credit card debt. What might this mean for the Fed and for you? Joining us on the show to unpack how he's navigating the fixed income landscape and explain why he's calling 2023 the anti-2008 is Fidelity Portfolio Manager Jeff Moore. Jeff and host Pamela Ritchie delve into the Fed's strategy, the health of corporations, and the high-yield market. Jeff reinforces the bond market's view that inflation is under control. He also expresses optimism about treasuries, citing positive real rates. He discusses the importance of flexibility in fixed income allocation and highlights the defensive nature of a successful fixed income portfolio during these times. The conversation also touches on factors like energy, fiscal policies, and global demographics. Jeff sees North America as a more favorable investment space and provides insights into his duration strategy, talking us through potential scenarios and market reactions. This podcast was recorded on September 14th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. I've noticed that in fact, you're not even, you don't even really have protection for inflation at this point. Take, Take us through sort of the inflation story from where you're standing. Right. So the bond market thinks that inflation's been done invested. The Fed has won. Okay. So if you look at tips to break uh, the inflation protected market in the U.S., break-evens, that's the inflation component, all have 2% handles, low 2% numbers at almost every maturity. So the bond market said the Fed has won the game. We still know the final score. Have they, are they going to get there in 2023, 2024, 2025? But I don't think it really matters for investors now. The good news is when inflation's on the path that it is, and there's only a couple sectors bubbling up at levels that are higher than you know, than we'd like them to be. This is a great opportunity for bond markets. So tell us, tell us how ultimately, because you feel like if that's, you know, if, if the markets think that the Fed's won the game, certain things are priced into that. Uh, where do we go from here? I mean, is there further to go, I guess? So I, the way I look at the Federal Reserve and the Bank of Canada, they're both going to threaten rate hikes, and they may do a few what I call tuck-in rate hikes. They're, what they do not want is the bond market to rally, okay? They want to keep the forward markets, 2024, they don't want them to price in big rate cuts. They want the market to say, hey, these levels could be here for a while. Because in both the Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve, they're feeling pretty lucky they got here without breaking anything. They would like to stay here, keep financial conditions as tight as they are now for another 12 to 24 months instead of having to spike rates and break something. So this is what you do. You threaten uh, rate hikes, 25 here. So my sense is for in September, the Fed won't go, but they may do something in November, but it's more than anything else, just to keep us from rallying in the out periods. 
are, are corporations healthy? They've had to get used to the, the fact that, are corporations healthy? They've got to get used to the fact that uh, the cost of capital is higher. They've, those companies that are run well have already done that. They've, they've seen the train coming to an extent. Are we on the other side, sort of from the corporate side of things? So think about the high yield market right now. I think it's a great example because that's the, the market that you think that if something breaks, it would break in something like high yield. The, the average coupon in high yield still starts with a three handle, 3% handle. Why? Because they turned out their debt two years ago. That's what the debt maturity wall moving out. Even 12 months from now, using our own data, we think that the average coupon in high yield will be five handle 12 months from now. Those are not stressed coupons for high yield managers. And the high yield market now is, has, is of the highest quality possible. It's double B rated. It's not a single B market anymore. It's migrated to double B because remember the last few years, Pamela, we've had nothing but upgrades. So if you're calling for high yield to break, I get you. I, you know, that would be the place. I just don't think you're going to get a widespread high yield break uh, easily because I'm not sure what would be breaking them, especially if the economy is sort of ticking along here, because it's certainly not going to be the reset in rates. So, so that's the corporate side of things. On the treasury, you like treasuries a lot right now in terms of positioning. It's uh, you have a lot of flexibility to to move, but at the moment, treasuries are a big a big part of the positioning story for you. Yeah. So, like to me, like I, I was telling you, I, I think this is the most compelling bond market since I've been working. Um, you know, in in the 1990s, partly because we have a lot of yield from treasuries, and that yield is at, at or uh, higher than inflation. So that means real rates are positive. Those are all great things. And and my hope for everyone is that the interest rates never rally again and that our clients can compound every day, every year with these nice interest rates. That is a huge win. So we're plowing through at this point, sort of at what? What would you say? And I just lost you there. We're, we're plowing through at this stage at what, you know, flipping coupons. I think you've used the expression uh, sort of plowing through the water or something. It's, it's uh, some smoothness here. Yeah, yeah. So that's what's going on right now. We're just plowing. So right now the portfolio has a yield around six plus percent. We're not really pushing it. We're massively diversified. We've got a lot of treasuries. We've been adding to duration because I feel like duration is a better place to be now that it's been in a long, long time. We're almost at the hundredth percentile over the last twenty-five years. And so, but the bond market is not rallying here because the Fed doesn't want it to. And you know what? As clients, you don't care. You don't care. It doesn't rally. That's only in a crisis, and then you want us to go up in value a lot so you can sell us and buy stocks backers, which is cool. I'm just saying, for the here and now, the bond market is just is just compounding and clipping. And in you know year to date, you know the bond market is up a couple percent comfortably. Um, and if you look at even a year over year, we're up like five percent. It's fine. You're not getting rich, but bond market. So it's doing the job of making sure there's a secure investment ultimately um, on the other side. The diversification element is there in spades. Yes. And so one of the reasons we have so many treasuries right now, we're almost half treasuries. We've never been this high before. Never be this high before. And more than really? that, we're just treasuries. Never. It's because the, the treasury market is the cheapest thing out there. The bank loan market, high yield market, even investment grade corporates, are sort of the 30th percentile. So they are not priced for a hard land. So part and parcel in this portfolio for clients, we, we want to be mindful of where could there be a lot of return that's a little unexpected and hard to see if something breaks in the economy. Again, it's hard to see it, 
but we've really ramped up our, our ownership of government bonds. And then we've been buying more duration as the data, even the most recent CPI, that most recent CPI makes duration safer. It just does. Okay, makes duration safer. It's it's the world is more realistic at this point. Yeah, and think about that the, the data point we just got, right? You know, if you think that orange permanent rent, which is the big unknown, is the thing, it it still was up seven percent year over year. Most of us in the market will make an argument that it's hard to imagine how households are going to get seven percent higher year over year for their house. Maybe they can. So at some point when that rolls over, and if OER in the US goes from, instead of growing at seven, just grows at three, okay? All inflation in the US has a two handle. That could be the next CPI report. It could be. So tell us, is the story the US at this point, not Canada? I mean, we have a different story, as you well know, on the housing front. Yeah, so the US I think is is rock solid. Again, you said, I call this the anti-08. Um, I think what 08 was the U.S. banking crisis, and the, uh, there was a number of instruments that polluted banks around the world. But that was a U.S.-centric crisis based on the fact that Chair Greenspan raised rates 350 basis points and broke housing in California, Texas, Florida. Fast forward to today, never let a good crisis go to waste. The governments didn't. Almost 99% of American households now are fixed rate and conforming mortgages. Which is They haven't even noticed this this rate hike. Most Americans have 27 years left to go in their mortgage and they have at two and a half or three and a half percent. So this is an anti-08 for the U.S. Now, rest of the world though, Canada and uh, the Netherlands, the Brits, um, Germany, Sweden, they have a lot of reset risk and that will, will crimp consumption in Canada and those countries without a doubt. So take us into sort of the fiscal side of things as we're talking about the, the government position. First of all, we're hearing narratives within the market. You know, the world is just awash in debt, can't handle it anymore. Where does the fiscal story land here? A year ago, Britain literally fell apart because they tried to go too far with unfunded policy changes. Where's the world of fiscal from here? Right. So we do know we've added a lot of debt globally. In the U.S. has added a lot of debt, and so has Canada. And we know from even like uh, the studies by Rogoff and Reinhardt out of Harvard that countries with a lot of debt grow slower. I think as investors, we should all be assuming that the forward markets around the planet, the forward growth prospects are all down, partly based on all the debt we've just issued that has to get paid for at some point, whether through spending cuts or taxation. And, and so that's going to crimp people. So that's got to happen. Then remember, demographics are always there. We have population decline in the G10, population decline. We're talking about China's population falling by something like 30 million a year in the next few years and never coming back from that. You know, by 2050, China's population could be over 300 million less. Internationally, where do you look if it's not? I, I think it's Fortress North America still is our investment philosophy. It's the US and Canada, uh, which have the best demographics. Uh, we have a lot of flexibility on fiscal. We've used some of it, but we have a lot more to go. I think it's Mexico and Brazil as well. There, I think, you know, if you say who's eating China's lunch, it's Mexico and Brazil. Really, right? and that, and that's. I think you've said that before. Has that accelerated at all? Yes, yes. I, I think it's it, it's it, pretty much every entity that when we talk to company after company, they're trying to do as much as they can. It's called onshoring, just because it's it's a lot more, it's a lot cleaner and. 
you're not going to start worrying about supply lines and things like that. And then I think this is also this notion, oh, that China's going to sell all its U.S. treasuries, by the way. Uh, yeah. They did that under President Trump. They hated them. Um, so they sold those already. And so the Chinese banks, what they own in treasuries are all one year and in bills and stuff. So even then, like you can't explain five and 10 year treasuries based on China. Uh, and so I, I'm not worried about that if you're worried about treasuries in China. That's not on. Take us into a bit more on the duration front, you know, how you're thinking about this, because this sort of ties into the world's Washington debt. And, you know, I mean, it, some people will say duration go into it now and others are a bit more hesitant. Um, take us through that a bit further. So this gets down to the, the word reinvestment risk. Reinvestment risk. This is what clients have to decide. If you own just cash, which is great, it's the cheapest part of the yield curve right now. The problem you have is in Canada, if one person, TIFF, changes his mind, you get a lot less yield the next day. That's just it. So it's not a market. It's just a handful of people making a choice on the overnight rate. Uh, the Fed's the same way. And so the question for clients isn't if they get out the yield curve. It's just how and when. I, that's my view. Because out the yield curve, you can lock in some of these higher rates. You can lock in some of these gains. And so think about it this way. If you think about a, a five-year bond in, in the U.S., and you can get, let's say, 4% on that, you know it's worth 20 points over the next five years if you just buy and hold it, right? So that's the break even. Next five years, you have 20% return. So if you have a million dollars invested, you got 200 grand coming that way, um, or 200 grand, sorry, 20 grand coming, and you just, you don't have to worry about it, right? That's the easy, easy part of 50 grand coming. My math is terrible. Um, so the point here is that that's the easy part of the, the, the the story. And so I think for clients, it's just not if they go out the curve, it's how and when, but you got to go out the curve because especially if you think the world's got too much debt, it's going to grow slower. And if you think demographics are bad, which I do, and it's going to crimp the rest of the world, in that world, you know, it's hard to get fast GDP growth. And if you think that 10-year nominal yields and, and, and GDP growth kind of go together, which I do, you probably want to lock in some of these yields at some point. I don't know how you do that, but that's up to every client. But that's, it's interesting if you say that you, you kind of hope that bond markets essentially stay, well, rates stay where they are, that, that we, that, you know, if there's a rally situation, that's what the Fed is trying to stop. But, you know, if we sit around here, come down a bit, this, this really looks like the future to you at this point, I'm barring something massive happening. Yeah, for the, for the next, you know, for the next while, Certainly for the to the end of this year, and it's all going to be predicated on, you know, does something break? Uh, do we get how, when do we get inflation under control? Because the Fed and Bank Canada, they've won the game. They don't have to blink, and they ought not to. They'd be out of their minds to. And and if they don't blink now, they don't have to raise rates later. And I think that's where their head is at. So hold the fort here, and that's why if you're in just short term debt right now, you have time to decide when to reinvest at the curve. Because I think the Fed and the Bank Canada will be here for a while. All I'll say is if something happens and, and it breaks something, you have to move out the curve as quick as you can. So is that something breaking potentially the energy story or related to it? So energy is one of these things. So if you think about BTUs, we were talking about this, British thermal units, they say, how much energy will we need on Earth by 2040? We're almost going to double the number, right, of demand for energy. It's like all of our cell phones and you're always updating your phone and things like that. There's so much demand for energy and it's almost inconceivable that we don't have to almost double our energy. 
Where are we going to get that? There's so many headlines that say peak oil then right now. So this is a challenge. I, I would like to think it's peak oil. Wouldn't that be great for all of us? Um, but it, it probably is not. <laughs> um, and more than that, you're going to have to say, where's the energy going to come from? And we're going to need all hands on deck to supply that kind of BTU. And that means every type of energy is going to get invested. So from the greenest green stuff to some of the dirtiest stuff, still going to get used. And, and that's where I would be. I'd be much more circumspect as, as an investor on the, end, at the, on the end of the energy cycle, because I'm not there yet. Unless you tell me, okay, where, how are we going to be able to double in BTUs? Are we going to double the number of nukes and stuff like that? That's a lot of infrastructure, a lot of dollars, 10-year lead periods. You know, that, that's the challenge. Right. That's, that's the challenge. But does it do something fundamentally to, to the inflation story at this point? Or do you think we'll sort of, will be headlines, but we'll bounce around these levels for now? I mean, does it matter, basically, is the question. I, I think it doesn't matter as much. It is the most volatile hit part of the, the stack in terms of CPI. So from that perspective, on a headline basis, it'll matter. The Fed's watching OER, this owner's equivalent rent, is almost 40% of the CPI basket. It's, not, it's a lot less than core CPE uh, or in the, in the PCE uh, inflator, but it's owner's equivalent rent. And if that just falls off from these double digits and 7% numbers, all by itself, the Fed and the bank can't. I may have just skipped there a little bit. Can you hear me okay there, Jeff? Yeah. I think it'll it'll come back in in just a second. Let's just let it clear there for a second. As our connection, we may have a... There you are. Gotcha. Can you hear me okay? Am I frozen? It froze just for a little bit, but it's back now. It's fine. Um, so, no, no, it's fine. Um, so a little bit around what you've been saying, this this idea, and, and they do seem to be... Now, so Fed going to cut rates just delayed. Um, mm -hmm. Therefore, we'll see lower interest rates. Uh, how would you lean into that? And conversely, if we sit here for the higher for longer, you kind of explained that. But but take us through like there are those that think that interest rates will will come down because inflation is getting absolutely crushed. Take us through how you would act in either of those scenarios. Yeah. So right now, you know, we we have a flexibility to do a lot of things. We're always trying to control our risk. We don't take a lot of risk in this portfolio. We want it to be bond market friendly. Um, right now, we're almost half treasuries. We're kind of like that six, six and a half duration, six, six and a half percent yield. That's kind of where we think is a great place to be. We want to be five to 10 year treasuries if we can be, play the steepening curve. Because in a crisis, you can't see it, but when it happens, the first thing you know, the yield curve is steepen like the son of a gun, right? That you want to be where the most movement is, that five to 10 year. We, we're there. Um, so we like that piece of it uh, in, in terms of giving us what I call scenario risk help. Right. But in general, while we're waiting, we grab the coupon and you, you enjoy the ride. And like I said, I think this is my view that uh, duration is as safe as it's been in a long, long time. The credit markets themselves are telling us what at this point. There's lots of people that sort of watching that very carefully. Yeah, so I think the credit markets are right now giving the signal, you know, we have soft landing. And that's fine because a lot of the companies in the credit markets are, you know, they're well run. These these management teams aren't stupid. This has been a very telegraphed rate hike. So they haven't, it's not like the management teams and companies are missing the boat here. I think there's this view that somehow economists like to think that company management teams aren't aware 
That is the furthest thing from the truth. They're very aware of everything, including the cost of funds for debt and equity. And um, and so, did I lose you? No, I got you. Yeah, carry on. You say they're very aware. Yeah, so they're very aware. And so from that perspective, the longer this goes, even more so companies will be saying, okay, maybe I won't issue debt into this market. I'll use a little bit more retained earnings and equity. And then at some point, two, four, five years from now, when rates are lower, I'll issue a whole bunch of debt and do a, a levered recap. Those are all things companies can do, and they will do. And so we kind of, we like corporate credit here. We think it's mostly fine. We have pulled our corporate credit inside of 10 years in general. So the bulk of our lending is you know, shorter, so intermediate and short uh, uh, for companies, not longer, on the view that if something does go bang, credit spreads will have to widen a lot, and that long fee rate will get the be the hardest hit. So the portfolio is extraordinarily defensive right now. We have a few sector weights in, in different sectors, up and down the cap structure, a couple of local currency trades. But in general, Pamela, the whole point of this portfolio is flexibility. So you know, grab your 6 or 7% if nothing happens. And if something happens, we'll have an obvious asset allocation for our clients. I'm kind of fascinated by the currency story today because the ECB did it's been called a sort of a dovish hike essentially um felt they had to do one more but it's it doesn't look like a great situation in terms of growth there um and we saw the euro initially tank off it uh, what do you think you haven't mentioned europe at all yeah so uh, the hard part about europe it's a very inflexible economies um these they're you know heavily heavily taxed heavily heavily burdened with with debt and, and these are in the, in the labor markets are relatively flexible all that's to say is that market's going to have trouble being robust. And if you're Germany, you know, Germany's biggest export market for a long time was China. As China slows down, now Germany's getting a cold, right? So I, we, we're looking at Europe, we still like owning there. We have around 10% allocation. We buy in local currencies, then we hedge the risk the currency out. We still like that diversification. There's still great companies in Europe that are well-managed, but and these are mostly investment grade. Having said that, there's not a lot of excitement. So we were able to um, buy those companies, hedge it back to dollars and grab like seven and a half, eight percent yield. That's what we're kind of looking for there. So we're not very excited about Europe. It's just, we think there's enough there to warrant a nice allocation. When when you see comments in the media, like, you know, uh, everything's either priced in or there's, there's, um, there's too much debt in the world. Is that almost a signal to equity markets? I, I think so. I, I, I often wonder, why someone who thinks there's too much debt on the planet wouldn't buy bonds because too much debt, if Rogoff's right, that, that we're going to grow slower, suggests a slower economy, not a faster economy, which is probably better for bonds and worse for stocks. So I often wonder why they don't like the bond market when they say that. It, seem, it seems internally inconsistent to me. And it's just, I think there's people just worry about everything. There's right. worries. And, and, well, and there's, I call them the charlatans of finance are always on TV. The charlatans of finance will run you into the ground. That's right. You have to stay optimistic, for heaven's sake. Um, tell us a little bit about if we go into the charlatans finance uh, scenario, though. I mean, what would you do? So let's say something goes bang, literally. You go shopping. You you find it as an opportunity. I mean, what, what do you do there? So here's the one thing you know. When something happens that's unexpected, it'll happen very suddenly. In the bond market yields will fall like an elevator that's lost its way. It'll just, and there really isn't a lot of time to, re, to reallocate from one risk asset into it. 
So it's kind of a come as you are market, at least originally. And so part of the reason we have so many treasuries is we recognize that, you know, everything, you know, what's what you're saying, yeah, I went bankrupt very slowly and then suddenly. Right. It, that's how the markets go. It's suddenly and then one day, it's slowly and then one day it's suddenly, and it's gonna be hard to reallocate. We, we reallocated in there already. In our view, right, is we'll do more depending on what that market looked like or less, or take profits. Okay. Um, so it was around for 08, 02, 98, 96. Um, these are these markets when they happen, they happen quickly. And you, in those situations, are able to sort of let it be because it's it's bonds and the safety is there. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where we are. We're a bond product for clients, and the goal here is if something big happens, we will change our asset allocation. We write the two pager every month. to let you know where our heads are at and, and, and to let you know where, how we'll be changing our asset allocation, which is I think important for clients so that if that doesn't dovetail with what they need to do at that moment, um, that's important. Think about 08. I remember in 08, October 08 happening, Lehman's failing. And my view is that clients should do nothing but buy everything, right? But a lot of clients were pretty, pretty scared and they were getting redeemed and there was stuff happening. Their, their C-suite was giving them all sorts of heck. They were forced sellers, yeah. And so I, the reason we want to communicate with clients is to say, this is where our hand is at. This is what we're about to do. If that doesn't dovetail with what you need, let us know. Best example in 2020, April, 2020, we're we telling clients buy everything is not nailed down because it's COVID, but all the policy reaction functions from Fed cutting to fiscal stimulus was all going to be, you know, just a ma massive surge in liquidity. We're saying buy everything is not locked down. We had one client, big state in the U.S., said to us, hey, uh, a teacher's friend, said, listen, uh, our equity and our private equity is all locked and just getting crushed. We need to start paying um, some of the payouts from the bond. And they said, can you do us a favor? You love the market. Can you just take the thing that's rallied the most, which in that case was treasuries, and just sell that. And you know, and, and we were able to work with their client and our client ended up at the end of it, you know, putting all the money back in a year later. Having said that, we kept, we stayed up with the marketplace because we went where we wanted to go, but worked with the client and worked there for a while. Oh, it's amazing. We'll end, we'll end on that. Jeff Moore, the time goes by so quickly. Thank you very much for joining us here at Fidelity Compass. We'll see you again soon. Thanks, Pamela. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. On fidelity.ca, you can also find more information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next time.